Hey firecrackers, it's Naomi and welcome to the firecracker department. How's everybody doing out there? How's your creative juices flowing? What are you doing to keep your creative tank full? Uh, right now, I'm doing a little bit of everything, which I'm sure folks that know me are like, doesn't surprise me, Sneakers. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Matt and I uh, had a couple of cocktails and then we did a paint by number. You know what, I'll post it because it didn't turn out awful. I mean, it's a paint by number, you can absolutely tell that, but it was so fun to do it together and get off the computers. And I found it really calming. I deal and struggle with anxiety, of course, like most people do in 2021. I found that painting has just calmed me down. It gets me off the computer, as I said, but it also just sort of like, I don't know, there's something about ah, the mixing of the paint and all that. The other thing we did with my friends, Naomi and Mike, they came over and we did this portrait game. I'm gonna name it, it's called Portrait La Ronde. Portrait La Ronde, that's what I'm gonna call it. First of all, you set up a craft table. I don't know about you, but the best thing for me is like when I see a, a table with like a cover on the table and then like paintbrushes in a jar and water and fresh paints and then canvases, I'm like, oh, something's gonna happen. I love it so much. So we did that and then everybody does a self-portrait, but you only have five minutes to start it. You don't have to finish it, you just have to start your self-portrait. You set your little alarm and five minutes later, you pass the portrait to your left or right or whatever. And then that person continues your piece of art. And then five minutes later, you pass it on again until, well, until you want to stop. I don't know, until it comes back to you, until you've done a couple of rounds and you feel like your piece is done. It was so fun. We also did it with my friends, Ron and Colleen. And this Portrait La Ronde, which I think is the name I'm holding on to, is, uh, it's just really fun. And it's also kind of a cool way to see like other people's styles creeping into your art piece. And then, you know, like somebody added like a hat to me and then added like a dock and like a dog. And it was just such a cool way to hang out instead of, you know, eating and drinking and just chilling. It was kind of a, a different way to chill. So that's what I'm doing these days. What are you doing? What are you doing to keep your creative tank full? Send me suggestions for creative tank fuel, but also send me like what you did. I'd love to see pictures of what you're working on. Firecrackdepartment at gmail.com. And uh, let me know if I can share it with the rest of the community because I sure would love to. Okay, before we get into my chat with this week's podcast guest, I have a little surprise. I'm so, I'm so excited to share this with you. I'm not even gonna say anything else because I'll probably give away the surprise. Okay, the surprise is, right? I can't help myself. Here's the surprise. Hey, firecrackers, it's a C-City firecracker core in the communications department. Today's interviewee is very special to me. She's someone who has been an integral part of my career, my journey. She's my role model, my inspiration, the one who always gives and helps everyone without expecting anything in return. She's my sister, my baby, Armin City. You are the bestest one, Masi. I love you so much. You always care about us. Thank you for everything you do. Thank you, Matsi, for helping me with the activities and the puzzle. I love you so much. You're the best in the whole wide world. Oh, I just love it so much. I love it, Assis. That is so fantastic. Thank you to Assis and her two very special guests for making this podcast just a little bit better. I love when people have like, oh, you know what would be fun? And then they actually do it. So, Assis. 
I just think you're the best. Thank you so much. Okay, let's get going with this week's guest. It is Firecracker Department Real Women's Network Spotlight Time. Now we have partnered with Real Women's Network, which is an online streaming platform that showcases women filmmakers and content creators from around the world. So once a month, I sit down with one of the Real Women's Network creators, and this brings us to our 12th Real Women's Network Spotlight guest. Yeah, 12th. So cool. This is writer, producer, and crown attorney, Armin Saiti. This is one of those full circle moments because a few months ago, her creative collaborator and amazing sister and Firecracker Core member, Assis Saiti, gave her a shout out on her episode. Because as you know, my wrap up questions, I always say, who is a firecracker in your life that you can shine a light on? And she was like, my sister, Armin. And so here we are. Now, Armin's episode is full of firsts. This is not only the first time that I've interviewed a crown attorney on Firecracker Department, so check. And this is also the first time we've had a follow-up interview with the other half of a creative dynamic duo, check. And this is also the, the first time we've ever had a sister duo. So check, check, check. <laughs> Armin writes, produces, and she has a superpower for making a vision come to life through flyaway films with her sister, Assis. She is a full-time Crown attorney in Ontario, and in the evenings or early mornings, as you'll find out, she is the editor-in-chief of Bollywood Film Fame magazine, where she interviews many Bollywood icons. Since 2009, Armin has been a writer and producer for docu-series, short films, including co-writing the historical docu-series Darshan Dek Jiva highlighting the story of the 10 Sikh gurus with conversations between young Sikh youth. Armin then went on to co-write with Assis, A Bloody Mess, which is an award-winning film about a young South Asian woman attempting to normalize conversations surrounding menstruation. And Armin also wrote Future Superheroes, a film about children empowering each other to care for each other and also the environment, specifically during the time of COVID. And by the way, Assis, her sister directed this short film along with A Bloody Mess. Armin co-wrote Rock the Cradle with guess who? Assis! They are inseparable. Rock the Cradle is a short film on postpartum depression and the script was selected in the top 10 scripts at the Landed Entertainment's script writing contest in November 2020. So exciting. Oh my gosh. Armin is such a force and it was such a delight to speak with her. Uh, you know, I have to say, sometimes I get my knickers in a twist when I speak to folks that are, you know, crown attorneys, because that's, you know, not really my world. But there was not once that I felt, I don't know, out of sorts. Armin is just such a real person and such a real artist and such a real crown attorney. All that, all of it in one beautiful Armin Saiti bundle. So here, without further ado, is my fantastic chat with Armin Saiti. Hi. Hi, how are you? Hi, so good. It's so good to meet you. So I was just saying to Winnie, this is our first sister act we've got going on in Firecracker Department. So great. It, it seems, it seems uh, as though that's the case. Yeah. Yeah, it's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. Armin, I need a little bit of background on a day in the life of Armin. It wouldn't surprise me if you were like, I have developed three clones. Armin number one goes to work as an assistant crown attorney. Armin number two goes to work uh, producing the magazine. Armin number three does the uh, flyaway films and Armin number four eats bonbons and paints their toenails all day. Right. Uh, 
I, I think that's a valid question. Uh, because <laughs> a day in the life of me, uh, some parts are very predictable, some parts are not. So I wake up in the morning, um, I say 5am, but these days my kid is co-sleeping with me, which means that uh, because she's teething and there's a whole host of reasons why she's co-sleeping all of a sudden, I can't wait her wait for her to stop co-sleeping with me. But mm-hmm. part of the reason why I'm not waking up at 5am every single day consistently is because she cries as soon as I leave the bed. And it's like, oh right. man. So, uh, but typically, like, for example, if this was yesterday or the day before, I wake up at 5 a.m. and uh, I head downstairs trying to make myself a tea or a coffee before everyone else gets mm-hmm. up. And nice. basically, so 15 I 15 minutes some, of you time. Yeah, the 15 minutes of me yeah. time I get. <laughs> uh, I turn on my personal computer on which I do magazine work, uh, check in for updates from the publicists in India. Uh, and elsewhere about interview opportunities, um, social media updates that they need us to do, and just generally spend about half an hour to 45 minutes doing that, Uh, at which point I then uh, turn to flyaway films, make sure that we uh, we have shooting coming up next weekend, so trying to figure out wardrobe and art department stuff, because that's something I'm in charge of, and then uh, just making sure the script is going okay because I'm a co-writer for the script as well. So just making sure everything's going okay, doing a really quick check-in for that. And then um, after I'm done that, I head upstairs, I get my kid ready. Oh, I at some point I got myself ready too. But I think that's <laughs> usually on the stair, like on the way downstairs. Yeah, I'm you just like, oh, have like yeah, a yeah. mascara waiting for you. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. well, exactly. <laughs> so uh, I get my kid ready. Uh, I you know, spend a little bit of time with her and I drop her off to daycare if I'm working from home and I don't have court. Uh, Then I head back home basically from 8.30 to about 4.30. I'm completely unavailable in all other aspects of life unless I take out sort of a chunk of time like I did today um, and sort of schedule things around this and uh, do all crown attorney related stuff. And after which I pick up my kids Uh, run some errands along the way, bring her back, spend some time with her. And then once she goes to sleep, I get back to the magazine and uh, get back to flyaway films. And maybe somewhere in there, I squeeze uh, in a little bit of time to read Mm. or catch up on some sports. So that's kind of a day uh, in the life of me. Yeah. Yeah. Not a lot of wiggle room for like anything else. No, not at all. In fact, my husband sometimes will be like, do you want to watch a movie? And I'm like, "Mm, mm, uh, I'm not sure about that, but I I try. Like, yeah, because I need the inspiration still. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. But I'm a big, I'm a big rom-com kind of person, completely contrary to who Assis is as a person. And I'm I'm a big rom-com person. I'm also a big, like, re-watcher. I love oh, yeah? to rewatch movies. Yeah. So part of it is I read somewhere that it helps with stress. Oh, re-watch to rewatch things, things? You know. Yeah. Because you know. Because you know what's going to happen. So one, you yes. can, so one, you're sort of de-stressing by watching something, but two, because you know what's going to happen. You're not thinking about it as much. So you can actually do something else while you do it, but at the same time, it yeah. de-stresses you. So I'm a huge rewatcher. And I, I used to rewatch from some time. Uh, ago and I realized recently I started to sort of look at 
the ways in which people de-stress. And one of them was you rewatch movies. And I was like, oh, is that the reason why you do that? Yeah. yeah. So I rewatch uh, movies, although I break, break it up. So two days ago, I started The Holiday uh, with Kate okay. Winslet, yes. Jude Law, Cameron Diaz, you know. Uh, and I started that and I'm going to end it today, hopefully. I get that big time, but with scary movies. Like I watched Happy Valley, which is a really intense BBC show. And my friend suggested it to me. And I thought like maybe two episodes in, I was texting her going, just tell me, tell me she survives. Tell me who did it. I don't care. I don't care about spoiler alerts. Just tell me so I can just enjoy this and not feel the stress and tension that this lead might die. I need that. <laughs> I am the exact same way. I will, I'll be watching a movie and I will start to look up spoilers. Me too. I can't manage, I can't manage the stress. Yeah. And, you know, Assis goes nuts because Assis like, what is the point of watching? I'm like, (laughs) the point of watching is for entertainment purposes, solely entertainment purposes. I just want to make sure that I know what the ending is so I can prepare myself mentally. So I do the exact same thing. We're the boss here, right? I'm also a huge talker though. Like when movies are happening, Mm -hmm. I'm a a huge talker when it comes to like, not rom-coms because I get into them, but like scary movies, like I'm very sarcastic. Yeah, because it helps you like get through it, the stress. Yeah, exactly. I'm with you. And sometimes yeah. I leave the room. My my husband goes nuts because it'll be so intense, and I'll be like, "Keep playing the movie. I'm just gonna walk away for a little while. I'm gonna come back. Same. You're gonna tell me what's happened, and we're gonna carry on. But I'll yeah. be less stressed about it." Was this always this this uh, this kind of day in the life of our men? Was is this always sort of the way you imagined your world? Yes. And the reason for it is because I don't remember a time when I wasn't interested in everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So Assis and I together, like we've had a dance academy, we've taught dance. I've been on board with all of Assis's projects, but at the same time, I have, I have a side to me that is a little bit different than Assis, which is the two of us definitely have a creative side, which we work on yeah. together. Um, but I also have sort of a very academic I love reading books mm-hmm. and all that side to me, um, which I think sort of helped me gravitate towards the career that I have um, sort of full-time, so to speak. Um, but I'm also very artsy. Like I like to draw, I like to paint. I, I kind of like to do everything. No, so you and, two are very similar in that sense. I see like yeah. Assis going, no, I like, and I like doing this. Like she's involved with the firecracker department because yes. she has to do everything. Like it's kind of a yeah. wild, I mean, I get it. Yeah. There's a lot to do in the world. Yeah. Wanna, we want to experience and and I think that's how I imagined it and part of it is like my parents to some extent especially my dad my dad would be like oh you want to go you want to compete in the Olympics he always said like try everything and Mm -hmm. see what you're good at and what you're not good at practice and get better and sort of indirectly sort of uh, influenced us to be involved and become interested in a lot of different things and so I don't think I can imagine a life without doing everything I do. Yeah, yeah, I, I understand that. Well, first of all, what's, what's your world, like the world of assistant crown attorney uh, land, which I know it's not a land, but that's how I envision it, just as a, as a, a ville, a, a township. But how does it, um, how does it happen? Like, what do you, what kind of work do you do as a day on a day-to-day basis? Yes, so as an assistant crown attorney, um, obviously, uh, we prosecute 
offenses under the criminal code. So all the way to homicide, I just finished up a homicide trial, but uh, homicides, sexual assaults, uh, it's every day can be different. I did a lot of work in mental health court, uh, drug treatment court, uh, mm -hmm. sort of the therapeutic courts, did a lot of youth work as well. I specialize also in the area of hate crime and elder abuse as well. Uh, so a day in the life of me as now being a crown for eight years uh, is mm -hmm. I, I do a lot of judicial pretrials. I do a lot of pretrials. I speak to a lot of defense counsel about various files that we have, uh, see if we can resolve them. If they're not resolved, we set it for trial. Um, I do a lot of trials as well, more of the serious cases uh, now that um, I've been a crown for some time and um, mm -hmm. victim meetings and uh, lots of, uh, yeah, lots of, uh, lots of things that people I don't think necessarily associate with uh, what a crown attorney does. Part of it is because yeah. nobody in Canada knows what a crown attorney even is. Right. Like, what? Are you a defense counsel? What, what are you? Because they've, they've consumed so much American television and right. they know what a district attorney is. And they know that a district attorney, for example, is sort of like elected. It's an elective, elected official. We are not elected at all. This is just a. Okay. This is, yeah. So it's, it's, it's different than Netflix. It's different than sort of what's projected on mainstream mm -hmm. American television. I don't think. I really yell in court at all. I don't think I've ever yelled in court, quite frankly. Right. right. The district attorneys, are they the yellers then? You know what? And I wouldn't know because I've never right. met a district attorney, right? Uh, in, right. Uh, in the States, uh, it's just that what we consume uh, sort of in popular culture is this very stark imagery of two counsel just going at it. And it's yeah. not necessarily the case um, often, especially in the kindness of, uh, things that I uh, specialize in with mental health and therapeutic yeah. courts, uh, it seems to be much more of a, how can we all work together to figure out what's best for everyone involved in this situation? So it's a lot of uh, creative out of the box thinking. It's a lot of uh, meetings. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. It's, uh, it's funny because I don't think I've ever really talked about what a crown attorney does because it seems so abstract to anyone right. who's outside of that world. Right. Like it's almost yeah. like taking like a crew member, like continuity and saying somebody who's not on set at all going, do you know what they do? And they'd be like, well, I guess they just work. All I mean, it's in the title. They should know continuity, but was this always like a passion of yours? Like which, which lane started first, the uh, creative film producing lane or the Crown attorney lane. I want to say that they probably ran parallel, but I think I'd be lying to myself if I said that because I think I was always creative. Uh, Assis and I, yeah. again, as I said, we, we danced for a very long time. We taught dance, choreographed. So I think that happened first. Uh, in uh -huh. terms of films, um, I always wrote. So I was always a writer. I, I was that person who was journaling before journaling was promoted on Instagram. Like I wrote down thoughts and ideas quite a bit. So I want to say that came first because if I look back to career day in grade five, we had to make posters and, and, and an essay about what we want to be when we grew up. And I actually wrote, I think I wrote author and I drew, I drew myself uh -huh. as an author with actually a very similar, like I had a bookshelf going just like I have in the background here. 
Oh, that's uh, interesting. So yeah, uh, I think that may have come first, but I think I also have a very strong perspective of right and wrong. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think that came at some point too. I, I'm very much justice oriented, even in everyday life. Uh, so I think mm-hmm. that came along the way at some point, possibly closer to high school, but I think the creative side mm-hmm. was always there. It is such an interesting division of your brain, right? Because in the legal world, you need to be certain of the rights and wrongs, right? There's not really room for gray area, but in the creative world, there has to be room for the what if and the maybes and the why not try this? How's that balance inside your head? That's a good question. I think I've just taken for granted that I'm able to switch on and switch off, Mm -hmm. but. Well, let me ask you this then. Let me spin it in a different way. How do you think being, um, I, I say this carefully because I think everybody's creative, but how, does, how do you think it serves you to be a creative person? And how do you think it serves you to be in the legal mental place that you are? Like, how does that both serve each other in those two different careers? Because right. really you have three careers, four careers. Yeah. And one. Yeah. 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 That's, and that's, counting. Yes, yeah. that's probably it. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think that... I'm not sure how it helps me job-wise necessarily. I think that in terms of fulfilling me, uh, it helps mm-hmm. me a lot. Mm-hmm. How so? Because I'm somebody who thrives on structure. I thrive on structure. I thrive on routine. So the legal side, having you know a Monday to Friday flowing into the weekends sort of job because of the work we do, We sort of work all odd hours, uh, but there is a structure. Uh, With writing, there isn't necessarily a structure. Uh, With a magazine, there isn't necessarily a structure. So the legal side sort of helps me uh, structure my day, structure my life. It helps me with the part of my brain that really enjoys reading and understanding sort of the human psyche. On the flip side of it, I think the magazine and writing and producing uh, in terms of films really helps me come completely out of the zone I've been in all day. Right. So, you know, it's not as though one is serious and one is not. No, filmmaking is a very serious business as a magazine, but it, it allows you to understand that there is more to life than your job, but also it helps sort of unleash the other part of my brain, which requires creativity, which requires thinking out of the box, which requires um, some thoughtfulness, not Mm -hmm. as uh, rigid rules surrounding uh, what we're going to put on screen or what we're going to put on paper. So I think each one fulfills a particular role in feeding my soul. I like, I think, I think being involved in these different things sort of helps me balance my life and yeah. actually helps me time manage really well. Because I think if I only yeah. did one I thing, uh, I, I procrastinate like crazy. Do you have an example of a time when you may be, I don't know, in court and you have, have used like a skill you've learned as a filmmaker, writer, magazine producer? 100%. So when uh, we are speaking to witnesses and when they're on the stand, I have found 
that one, I think being in the courtroom has really given me a lot of confidence in speaking just generally, because we're always thinking on our feet. So I think that's really helped in this domain where I'm interviewing people. I'm able to talk to anyone and everyone that goes, goes through my life. Uh, And the other way around, I think the more I interview people or um, sort of write, I understand that things are are not necessarily black and white. So it helps me in the courtroom, especially in therapeutic courts where now uh, we're able to sort of come up with more creative resolutions. And I understand that there is more to life than just, and there's more to this one person who is a victim of this crime and they have a life outside of what I have been exposed to in the courtroom. So I think it helps me understand that because I also have a life um, outside of what I am in the courtroom in the courthouse. So right. Right. Uh, I And I think both of them feed into each other in terms of uh, one, the way I speak to people, but two, also the confidence um, I have in speaking to people, because I, I think Assis will be the first one to say I was the person who never spoke. And, and, and I think to this day, I mean, if there's a party, I'm probably not the one, I'm not the life of a party. I, okay. Assis is very much somebody who will go and network and speak to people. I just completely can't do it. But Mm -hmm. people are very surprised because Mm -hmm. I'm able to have this conversation with you and keep going because, and, but I think that comes with what I do full time in court. I sort of have to Mm -hmm. speak, but at the same time, the other way around works as well. I think interviewing people helps me ask questions and ask more important questions Uh of uh, witnesses and other people involved in the justice system, for sure. I think that that's a really interesting point, because I think that a lot of people think that if you're in the arts, you're just a gregarious socialite. And I think it's not like that. Like, I'm an ambivert. Like, I enjoy being an extrovert, but I sure love my own time. And then I hate, hate public speaking. I hate it. And people are shocked because, but you're always in front of an audience. Why would you hate public speak? I hate it. I, I mean, I, it's something I need to get better at, but it's not something that comes naturally to me. I think they're very different muscles. Yeah. Public speaking doesn't come naturally to me either, but I will say, I, I think I'm probably good at it, but um, I, I'm self-aware enough to know what I'm good at and what I, what requires improvement. And I think I may actually enjoy public speaking. There's no feedback from public speaking necessarily there may be some questions at the end of a presentation but there's no feedback necessarily no uh, no there's not applause right? or like throwing flowers at you like great, yeah great whereas, argument no exactly whereas I think what I don't enjoy is the the parties and sort of the social events where uh-huh. the, the small talk is required that's what I definitely uh-huh. don't enjoy so yeah, I think I'm with you on that. I mean, it's sort of why Firecracker Department was born is because I wanted, like, I'd meet somebody like you and I'd find out this much about you and I'd be like, oh, I want, I want so much more. So having these kind of hour-long discussions and chats is so much more fulfilling to me anyway, to get to know folks better. Uh, it makes complete sense because I, yeah. I'll be the first one to say, as soon as you put me to a party, I don't even remember anyone's name, quite frankly. Yeah, so. so stressful. Was there ever time, I think, I think you're going to tell me your father this, that guided you this way, because it feels like both your sister, Assis, and yourself never had a time that you needed to choose. Like when it came to the fork in the road of going, 
Are you going to go into crown attorney work or are you going to go into film production? You were like, I'm just going to do both. Do you remember that that moment in your in your earlier life when you had that sort of fork in the road? I don't think I remember there being a fork because I didn't think the fork existed. My dad was definitely like that. Uh, my dad is very much a free spirit. He likes to do whatever he wants and often at the detriment of my mom's sanity. My mom's right. like, oh. Well, what's your father's name? I don't think I asked to cease this. What's your father's name? His name's Gurdeep. He goes by Gurdeep. Gary, which I, I'm always like, you don't need to anglicize your name. But no. uh, yeah, his name is Gurdeep. It. My mom's name is Daman. I always say this about my parents. My dad is sort of the the soul of the family of the four of us but my mom but my mom is the backbone like yeah. without her the three of us don't exist because she brings a certain amount of structure and i think that's where i get the structure side in me from and mm-hmm. i sort of have a little bit of both of them whereas i think my sister has much more of my dad in her than my nice. mom and that fork never existed to circle back to your question mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. it's always been a very open path and I think we're fortunate to have it like that because I'm going to say as not just a woman, but a South Asian woman, a woman who identifies as being South Asian, a Punjabi Mm -hmm. Sikh, that pathway, one, is usually never even open, but two, there's not even a fork sometimes. There's just that there's this one path for you and that's the path you're going to go on and that's about it. It doesn't matter how uphill that path is you're going to go on that one path. And uh, as a South Asian daughter, I will say that one thing that I've never been restricted on is having essentially like an open field, do whatever you want. That fork never existed. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you first started working with Cease, I mean, you seem to just fill in each other's sentences. Like you seem like you just are one brain, two bodies. Was it always like that? Was there ever any kind of uh, challenge in your collaboration? Did you have to sort through stuff early days? Asis and I have been working together for so long. I mean, you've been working <laughs> together I don't since know. you were in diapers. Who's kidding who? Yeah. But then I think like it might change a bit when you go, okay, now we're sort of like business partners, quote unquote. So my earliest memory of sort of collaborating with Asis was through dance, for sure. And I'm going to say that I am much more of an assertive person than Assis is in that spectrum. So I think growing up, I was always the person who led and Assis would sort of adjust and was very malleable in that sense. Right. And I think when we started working together sort of on the professional front with the filmmaking and the writing, I think somewhere uh, Assis has probably become more assertive. And I've become a little Mm -hmm. bit more malleable and adjust a little bit more. But in terms of differences, I think uh, the two of us are different creatively in the sense that Assis has the technical training Mm -hmm. um, in filmmaking. So she studied film and television. Um, She's Mm -hmm. done, you know, five years of education and that she continues to participate in workshops, either if she's training somebody or somebody's training her. Um, She continues to do that. I am much more of the person who operates on the inside while still being on the outside. So 
I will say to Aziz when I'm looking at a script, when I'm looking at her direct a scene, and I have the only person who has the liberty to do this because I'm also her sister. So right. I, right. you know, I'll pull her to the side and I'll say, this is not working. Like this is not what real life people do. Yeah. And Aziz says, what, what are you talking about? And I'll say to her, well, let, let's think about this. Like if the two of us are sitting in this scenario and something like this was to happen, we wouldn't react like this. It causes her to sort of take a pause and think because I am not operating from that technical side. I'm not right. operating from, this is a nice wide angle shot. If you've crossed right. the axis here, I'm, like I'm not thinking about any of that. No. Um, I'm just thinking about real human emotions. And that's where circling back to your, to your previous question, where a lot of my experience comes from in the courtroom, I have to be good at reading yeah. people. Yeah. I have to read yeah. the judge. I have to read the witness. I have to read defense counsel. I sort of have to be, you know, in tune with what's happening around me. So for that reason, I think that I read a lot. If when I when I get into a room, when I get into a space, I tend to read what everyone else is doing. I'm not saying necessarily that um, I'm always right, but I tend to have a good read on people generally. So I mean, between you and me, let's just say you are. Yeah, I mean, but let's just say I am. <laughs> let's just say I am. So I'll say to Assis, I'll give her that. And Assis goes, oh, oh, I haven't, I haven't thought of it that way. And Assis is the technical side of things, right? I'll write a script and I'll have yeah. this whole monologue. And Assis looks at Assis like, this is not how you write a script, right? And yeah. she sort of takes yeah. what I've written and actually puts it into a format which makes sense. So we fulfill each other that way creatively. In terms of our professional aspects, I think Assis is always a bit of, I have all these ideas and I'm much more of a, okay, now let's take this idea and put it here and let's take this idea and put it here. So I'm much more of the organizer and Assis is much more of the, I have 10,000 ideas. Right. So we fulfill each other that way from a more of a habit, a professional habits perspective. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and was there ever a time like I mean not to not to stir it up between sisters but there was there ever a time on set where you're like oh we need to step aside and have this discussion in order to advance in production I don't think it's ever been this huge big deal it's always dissipated and it's always yeah. resolved itself but yeah. I will say that and this again comes down to technical versus sort of non-technical um, I think sometimes, you know, there'll be a scene that's happening and I'll pull a cease aside and I'll just say, you know, this is not working. It's, it's not mm -hmm. what you want. And right. um, again, I'm the only person who has the liberty to do that because regardless of my title, I could be wardrobe, I could be art, I could, do, I could be PA, yeah. uh, but mm -hmm. regardless of my title, I, I have that liberty to do that because she values my mm -hmm. opinion. And I'm thankful for that, that she still at the end of the day doesn't say, well, that's your job is PA today. You know, she's, yeah, she'll right. still take that. <laughs> yeah, she'll, yeah, yeah, she'll still take that input. So uh, there have been times uh, where I've said, you know, like, I don't agree with how things are going or how things are looking. Yeah. And we'll have sort of a five minute aside. And we sort of come to some sort of a conclusion. Or she says to me, no, this is exactly what I want. Yeah. And she yeah. explains her purpose to me. And it makes sense. I don't think we're trained in the world of conflict. I think we're trained in the world of trying to keep the peace constantly. And I think that the more often that we can sort of stretch the muscles of like, I actually have a problem with that scene, or I don't like how this is going. 
Because I don't know about you, but I mean, probably not you. This is just me. But as soon as I start to have conflict, I'm I'm a bit of a hot mess. So I need to exercise that muscle more. So I find that I am much more assertive in some ways. But when it comes to films and filmmaking, mm-hmm. um, I tend to voice my opinion. I voice mm-hmm. my opinion pretty fast, pretty strong. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm also the first person to say, okay, I understand where you're coming from when it's explained to me. Yeah. I'm likely the first one to provide an opinion. I'm an extremely yeah. opinionated person. I'm like, oh, me, I, I have. I mean, that's your job so, too. Right. That is my job right? as well. Yeah. So, yeah. So with you and Assis, I mean, you both have a dedication to using your platforms to not only tell stories, but tell stories that make a difference you know, you see that in, in bloody mess and you see that in superhero, which is adorable. And if you haven't seen that folks, you have to watch superhero, but was that always part of your plan to, to use your platforms in that sense? Or do you ever just want to make like a real fluffy rom-com? I mean, I don't think you could actually, I think even if you made a fluffy rom-com, you'd cast it in a way that was like making a statement. So I don't know. Was that always in your trajectory? I think so. I don't think we've ever sat there and said, this is the purpose and this is what we're going to do. I think it came very naturally to us. There are so many stories to tell and there are so many women. When I say women, I'm saying anyone who identifies as a woman, there's intersectionality and the, Mm -hmm. your experience as a woman may be very different than my experience as a woman, but I'm saying woman sort of as an homogenous term, but I don't mean that all of our experiences are the same for sure. Mm -hmm. But what I'll say is this, that When we sit down and think about something that's happened in our lives or something that we've seen another woman experience, Mm -hmm. it's always led to a conversation between the two of us. And when we felt something very strongly, it has naturally come out in some sort of a product. So uh, a bloody mess happened because we happened to be speaking to somebody about, do you remember if you knew what a period was? Right. Um, it was a sort of a simple conversation like that. The film that we are uh, shooting on November 13th and 14th, a short film called Rock the Cradle, that's on postpartum depression. And that comes right, from, yeah. again, this goes back to journaling. I had written sort of a monologue three, two, three months after I, I'd given birth last year. And I shared it uh, with a cease and I shared it with one other person who is a part of Flyaway Films as well, Daisy. And she had also given birth um, about five months before I did. And we started talking, we were like, man, like women's emotions and like what we go through post-birth, nobody understands that necessarily. Nobody grasps the gravity of what you may be dealing with. So that came from personal space and we talked about it. And once we were conversing about it, we realized, wow, this this is a story. Like we need to talk about this. Uh, future superheroes came from us being inside during COVID-19. Like, what could we do? What could the, what, what could our kiddos do during this time to sort of make a difference in the world? And how can we raise them to be empowering and empowered? So that's where that came from. It's, uh, you know, a still, which is in post-production came from very personal space for a cease where she was essentially told that, you know, like you may want to think about abortion because of all the health issues you know you may have a stillbirth and all of the risks uh, associated with giving birth were explained to us so that came from a very personal space as well Mm -hmm. I think that 
a lot of these issues, we know that they perhaps exist, but mm-hmm. it's not loud enough. I get the, it. The voice yeah. is not loud enough. So I think that's where it comes from. It's not necessarily that uh, this is an issue and we're going to now talk about it. I think that part of the reason why we, we become so passionate about what we're talking about is because it in some way, shape or form has affected us. It, it becomes very personal. Yeah. Well, do you ever worry about exposing yourself too personally? Like, you know, you've got these two different lives, right? So it's an interesting thing to probably walk that that fence. But also in the South Asian community that, you know, as I've spoken to Assis before and it's with you, it's not as, I don't know, it's not as exposed. I worry about it a lot. Um, I worry about it more so than I think Assis does. And um, I'm very much wary of sort of the different lives I lead. Although it's one uh-huh. life, I leave, I leave very different lives. It's interesting because when I talk about, for example, Rock the Cradle, I'm very much aware of how much I want to say about my own personal journey okay. and how much of it is sort of it, like my monologue was sort of a starting point and where it's, where yeah. it's led is not my story. It's not my story anymore. It is the story of our central character who is Buddy. But I, I think about all, that all the time. I mean, my Instagram, my personal account is is private, for example, yeah. and it's private for a reason because of the different lives I lead. But also, I, I'm not necessarily somebody who wants to talk all about my personal life and how it has manifested itself into the different stories we're telling. At the same time, I think that there is a limited amount of exposure that you can do on your personal life without it becoming yeah. so cumbersome for you to sort of carry that weight that you have now exposed yourself to the world. And now the world is looking mm-hmm. at you from a, perhaps a different lens. So I think there's a limited amount that you can share. Yeah. Um, yeah. To let it's people tricky know though, right? how the story has been informed, but yeah, yeah it's, it's tricky. It's a fine line for sure. Yeah. Um, I as think an artist, you want to dig deep. You want to like dig deep to those personal things. And yet you do live these two different lives. Yes. And I would say that that is the case with even people who are in filmmaking full time. This yeah. is the only thing that they do, because yeah. at the end of the day, your own mental health and your own well-being should be paramount. So if that means that you are the impetus for a particular story to be told, uh, if you are sort of the starting point, if the entire story is about you, you need to do what you have to do to protect yourself and protect your mental health and protect your well-being. And if that means mm-hmm. that you are limited in the way in which you can relate a story or a project back to your own personal experiences, so be it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like looking at that day in the life of Armin, as I said, there's not a lot of wiggle room. Do you ever like go, oh, I can't afford to dream too much because there's no, I'm going to just have to wake up earlier. I mean, somebody once said to me, you can, you can do everything. You just have to wake up earlier. Do your dreams get challenged that way? Cause you're like, how can I fit anything else in? These days they do because my child's not going to let me get out of bed, but uh, otherwise, except for that one technicality that I'm dealing with, with my daughter right now, (laughs) um, I will say that, oh, if there's one person who I think I need to be tamed a little bit, I, I dream I dream a lot. Like there is, there is this much I've done according to my bucket list. And then this is my bucket list, right? Like my bucket list is long. It is filled with things I want to do. Some with family, some with, you know, my own personal aspirations. There's a lot of time to dream. And yes, you have to wake up earlier. I think there's a, 
I, I read a book last summer called The 4% Fix. It talks about taking okay. out 4% of your day just for yourself and just working on something. So it could be exercising, it could be writing, it could be whatever you want to do. Just that 4%, 4% is an hour of your day. Wake up at yeah. 5 a.m. That's where I got the 5 a.m. thing from. Wake up at 5 a.m., 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. just dedicated to yourself. Do whatever you yeah. need to do. So that's how you develop a good habit of whatever you want to do whatever you want to accomplish. And I, I honestly feel as though um, I like sleep. I really like to sleep as well, but right. yeah. at the same time, there's so much to do. I think the C said the exact same thing. And, and again, it's, it's a personal choice. Sure. If you are content with a certain pace of life, 100%, like to each their own with me, I, ju I just like to keep doing, I like to explore. I like to, there's yeah. so many things to do. I mean, yeah. What I do is Does your body ever stop you though? Does your body ever be like, all right, I'm in, you're cut off. You're going to get a cold now, or you're going to sprain your ankle and you're going to have to slow down. Sometimes. I mean, you know, I think once you hit 30, your body's always doing that. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, sometimes yeah. my back, sometimes my neck, but just as a really quick aside, part of it is, mm -hmm. I think wanting to prove yourself as a Canadian South Asian who comes from immigrant parents um, who uh -huh. have worked their butts off, you know, trying to give you a good life. And it's not as though you owe them anything. I'm not necessarily saying that no, at all, but there is yeah. a certain, I think there's a certain sense of not even responsibility, but there's a certain sense that you have that my parents did X, Y, Z to yeah. make sure I was yeah. happy, not necessarily to make sure I was successful, to make sure I was happy. I am yeah. happy. I am being fulfilled what more can I do to ensure that other people around me, South Asians growing up in Canada now can see that there's this opportunity. Oh, look, somebody looks like me. Yeah. Um, why not? Like, why not? Why not try to keep piercing the barriers that exist? And I think the only way to do that is you just keep dreaming. I love it. I love yeah. that so much. I think you're right though. It's ingrained, right? Like your parents didn't even have to tell you. They just lived it. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I get it. I'm first generation Canadian and I'd never thought of that, but I think you're, you're right. All right. Let's wrap it up. I, this is, I turn the tables and you get to ask me a question. So I want to ask you a question. Uh, you interview people regularly and I want to ask you when you leave a conversation, do you feel lighter, heavier because of their experiences does it leave a personal impact at all? Are you able to turn off after a question, uh, after a conversation? Because I have conversations where I feel mixed feelings at the end of it. Uh -huh. So I want to ask you, typically, when you're done a conversation, how do you usually feel? Yeah, I think I'm, I'm like you, like, I think I absorb things. I think that, you know, people's trauma, I hold it in some way, like mm -hmm. a, when somebody's gone through a traumatic event, if you and I had just spoken about something that was really traumatic, and I I, I think I do have a hard time letting that go. I'm also such a fan. There's a quote from Joan Baez that says something like, action is the antidote to despair. Mm -hmm. So if I, if I feel that kind of trauma, I'm like, so what am I going to do? Am I going to sit in that sadness that I'm feeling for my friend that I've just spoken to? Or am I going to call them and make sure that they're okay? Or am I going to connect with a charity in order to support the thing that's upsetting? I don't know, but I think I, think I can't help but take it with me a little bit. Um, yeah. Are you like that then? Yes. 
One hundred percent. That must be tricky uh, think, in, in court. Yes, there's actually a lot of vicarious trauma training. Yeah, uh, that happens for okay. crowns, um, similar to what happens with paramedics, with police officers. There's a lot of vicarious trauma that we carry, which I don't think a lot of people sometimes understand. But for sure, one hundred percent in court, for sure, I carry that. After a conversation like this, I find that I feel lighter usually. I think it's our job to like hear people. I don't think it's our job to carry their weight right. necessarily. Like share, share their weight. Sure. You know, like, it, it, yeah, I, there's I'm a difference. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really interesting. And I also, you know, I, I was just part of this um, symposium called broken hole true to soul uh, was the production company. And we were talking about how like folks like you or police officers have to have this, like, I'm all fine. I don't have trauma. Everything's fantastic because they're in places of, leadership and and you're not supposed to show that and yet don't you think if we were all just a little bit more human that our humanity it was exposed a little bit more we'd be more connectable is what I think so I don't know I think you have to share the load I think yeah yeah I think for sure and I think that there is a there is certainly some value to being vulnerable and showing that uh, all of us as you said are human Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think I've probably gotten better at it. I think when I was younger, I would be like defeated by somebody else's sad story. Like it would uh, really weigh on me. But I think now, like I think, well, gosh, like this conversation has enlivened me. Is that the right word? It's, it's, uh, it's, I don't know. It's fueled me. This conversation has fueled me because I feel like, you know, as a creator, I see what you're creating and I'm like, oh, I want to do more. I see what Armin and Assis are doing. And then there are some times when conversation is heavier and yeah, I think it, it really, it depends, I guess. Okay, let me ask you the firecracker wrap-up questions. Here we go. Fill in the blank. To me, a firecracker is. A firecracker is somebody who dreams and doesn't stop for anybody or anything. I love it. What do you want to be best known for? Telling uh, stories uh, that come from good intentions. Oh, great. Great. It feels like you've written these, but that's very good. Uh, if this was a movie, so if your life was a movie and this is one of the final scenes... What's been like a turning point for you, a climactic moment that changed your future forever? Ooh, I think the birth of my niece. She was the first kiddo in the family in terms of grandkids. Mm -hmm. And and I mean, a lot of people would expect me to say the birth of my daughter, but I'm very close to my nieces as well. And I think she made me realize that it's okay to let loose and just be. Yeah, she's in superhero, right? Yes, she's the main. She's the main character in Future Superheroes. Yeah, we all. What's her name? Sahaj. Yeah, we all need to take a page out of her book. I think. What's something that people don't know about you? I'm terrible. I'm a terrible sports watcher. I yell at the TV a lot. What's your best mistake? What is a mistake that you've made and you've learned so much from it? The best mistake I've made is holding myself to a standard uh, of perfection and realizing, again, this comes from having two beautiful nieces and my own beautiful daughter and realizing that holding yourself to a standard of of perfection is not really a thing. Perfection is not a thing. I I remember somebody said to my older niece, practice makes perfect. And I said, no, practice makes better. Perfection is not Mm -hmm. something you should strive for. Practice makes better. So a mistake I made was striving for perfection. And uh, with having such beautiful kiddos around me, I think I realized that that's not really a thing and uh, made me yeah. realize that I'm human and I make mistakes. Good to pass that down to those kiddos, huh? Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. 
What's something you haven't done yet, but you know you have to do? <laughs> Write a book. Oh yeah. What would it be? What would be the title or what would it be about? Uh, it's, it's a working idea right now. I don't think I've ever actually said this. I'm not even sure if I told a thesis, but it's a working idea right now. I think that it would be probably for uh, elementary or middle school kids and it may be a series. And I think my mom would be a huge uh, part of one of the main characters. I think the main character would definitely be someone like my nieces or my daughter, um, a little bit older. And I think a lot of the life lessons in it would probably be passed down from somebody like my mom. Uh, what makes you feel powerful? A pen. Great. I don't even want any more than that. That's the perfect thing to say. What has been the best advice you've ever received or the worst advice you ever received? Uh, best advice would be who cares what people think? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. comes from my dad I know a lot of people don't think of that as advice that is that is advice that's you do you who cares what people think mm -hmm. I think that definitely came from my dad uh right. worst advice uh, was something about uh now you're married now you have a kid and you know there's certain things that you can and can't do and you should focus more on xyz um versus versus you know being uh being involved in long hours at work, uh, you should really mm -hmm. focus on focus on your kid and focus on your marriage and family. Uh, that was the worst advice I ever received. I've never followed it. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't imagine that person really being in your world very much, that person that gave you that advice. No. No. <laughs> um, who's a firecracker in your world? I mean, yeah, we're a cease for days, but is there another firecracker you can shine a light on? Ooh, I'm going to go with my daughter being the firecracker. She's 18 months old, so you think, how is she a firecracker? She's but the man, youngest firecracker. She is, man, is she a firecracker. She is uh, full of life. She speaks her mind. She says no. And a lot of people say, oh my gosh, she already knows how to say no. And I'm like, that's right. She should know that's how to say no. <laughs> She should, know, yeah. she should know how to say stop. I love it. Um, she should be able to say, be vocal about how she feels in a particular scenario. So I'm going to give that one to her. What's her name? Her name is uh, Redos. And I haven't mentioned my, my younger niece. So I'll, I'll give her uh, the firecracker to Jepchi. Oh my gosh. Those three are going to, I mean, you and SCs are going to take over this world. And then the next generation with those three kiddos, we're good. We're set. That's the plan. That's the long-term plan. Right, right, right. <laughs> What's advice? My final question is advice to your younger self. Don't get caught up in what society expects of you. Yeah. Did you find yourself in that world for a while as a kid? I would say probably in my early 20s. Was there something that shook you out of that? I think I'm going to give my oldest niece credit for that. Uh, she mm -hmm. was born and all of a sudden I thought to myself, why should she conform to anything? And I think that was sort of a turning point for me because... I looked at this young girl and I was like, don't let anyone or anything dictate what you have to do, be it societal norms, expectations, cultural expectations. And uh, looking at her, I was like, don't be a hypocrite. If you're going to hold that standard for her, hold that standard for yourself as well. So I think things probably started to change around 25, 26 um, for me. Love it. It's been such a treat talking with you. These kind of conversations make me feel way lighter. Um, and even if I think that even if you and I had talked about like darker things, 
I think that sharing it would make me feel like it, it's still okay. Do you know, like we're, we're on this journey together. I agree. I don't do a lot of interviews. And when this came my way, because Assis has spoken so highly of the firecracker department, spoken so highly of you, uh, Naomi and Winnie as well. I thought, yeah, we'll do this. And I've, I've obviously I've, I've listened to Assis and all the things that she had to say. And yeah, I feel, I feel good. Yeah. Oh, well, it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. And I can't wait to have our first uh, sister duo on the firecracker department. If people haven't heard of Cease, you're going to go back and listen to a Cease's chat and then you'll get the whole Sadie family all together. 100%. I'm going to start interviewing the kiddos. My, my older niece will be all for it. Yeah. Sage would be all for it. How old is she? She's turning eight in December. Oh my gosh. She, I yeah, love she'll it. be all for it. She's, uh, she's definitely like my sister in that way. She is very much, yeah. she's very much creative and loves talking and she'll love that. Okay. Well, we'll just keep gathering the, the family. <laughs> Thank you so much, Armin. I so, so appreciate your time. I know you're swamped and I, I really appreciate you carving out a little bit of space for us. Thank you so much and um, okay. take care of yourself. Thank you. You as well. See ya. Bye. It was such a great chat. It was such a great chat because honestly, like I see folks like Armin and Assis and I see what they're doing and I see how they're bringing up the next generation and it's full of hope. I mean, Armin and Assis will rule the world one day and then the next generation will be like in their corner going, put me in coach, put me in. I mean, their daughters, I can't wait till they grow up and become creators, producers, writers, directors. I'm so excited to see what the future holds with powerhouses like the Satie family. For all updates with Flyaway Films, follow them at Flyaway Films Inc, all one word, or visit their website, flyawayfilms.ca. To get your Bollywood fix, follow at Bollywood Film Fame Canada, all one word, or head over to their website, bollywoodfilmfame.com. And of course, go over to Real Women's Network to watch A Bloody Mess and Future Superhero. I just loved Future Superheroes. It made me giggle. I just, I mean, these kids are fantastic. You have to go and see Future Superheroes. And of course, make sure you're also following Real Women's Network on their socials. Find them on Instagram at real, that's R-E-E-L, Women's Network, or on Twitter at R-E-E-L, Women's N-E-T-W, and the number one. In all cases, you know what, we got you. Just check out our show notes for the links, and we'll be bringing you a new creator from the Real Women's Network every month. So watch out for these voices, and check out what's available to stream right now at realwomensnetwork.com. They have so many amazing filmmakers. Some Firecracker Core members, too, have films up there. It's an amazing, amazing platform. Stay tuned to our socials, Firecracker D-E-P-T, for all those updates and announcements. And, you know, keep in touch. We've got a lot going on in Firecracker Department. What else is new? But we sure love having you along for the ride. So firecrackerdepartment.com for all the information, all the updates, how to get in touch with us, how to join us. And don't forget to throw some love over to the social media. Love, love, love hearing from all of you at Firecracker D-E-P-T on Instagram or Twitter. And we always respond because we love chatting with you all. I'm Naomi. Thanks for spending some time with me. Now go on out there. Go on, pick up a pen, a piece of paper, a marker, some charcoal. Get creative and then share it with me. I'd love to see what you're working on. See you next time on the Firecracker Department, everyone. Winnie Wong is our Firecracker head producer. Follow her at wonder underscore Wong on Instagram and wonder underscore Wong 8 on Twitter. 
This episode is edited by Shane Stoltz. You can follow them at Shane Stoltz, all one word, and Shane with a Y. This intro was written by the one and only wonderful Winnie Wong. That's right, she's a triple W. The rest of the team comes at you from Toronto, Los Angeles, Austin, London, Dubai, and truly from all over the world. Get into the full Firecracker Department core team at firecrackerdepartment.com about because we're always updating and we're always growing. Stay tuned to our newsletter for advanced updates on our monthly meditations, upcoming mentorship workshops, live script department readings, festival partnerships, weekly writing workouts, and dates for 2021, and so much more. There's lots going on in Firecracker Department. Now, whether you're a first time or a long time listener to the Firecracker Department, we always, always want to hear from you. We love hearing what quotes, the specifics, the nuances of things that stuck with you. We mean it. We really do. And we respond to every single thing that comes our way. If it gives your brain goosebumps or it piques your curiosity or makes you want to stop and write something down, send it back to us or our Firecracker guest or both. I mean, everybody likes to know that when they put something out into the world, that it resonates. And if it sparks something in you, use that creativity to take some creative action. Share it because it just reverberates, you know? If you see somebody being creative, that might spark somebody else's creativity. So pay it forward. Thanks also to Jeff Malutinovic and Igor Korea for our theme music. And thanks to you. Yeah, you, sitting there, driving there, walking there, working out there, and taking time to listen. We know there's a lot of options out there and we really appreciate you choosing us. We hope to see you at maybe brunch, maybe the writing workshop. And until next time, thank you for listening to the Firecracker Department. We'll see you next time.